Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadj Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I'll reiterate, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and uh, we're pretty good friends, too. Right, Ben? Sure. Sure. Um, In fact, you can find Ben's work all over the internet. Ben, tell us where we can find some of your latest articles. You can find my work at Motor Trend in the November print issue of Car and Driver, at Inside Hook, or at uh, 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 Driving Line, Sammy. Very cool. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca, as well as driving.ca, TechSpot, and Nouveau Magazine. Ben, we've got some... We've got some pretty interesting cars to talk about this week, and I know I say that almost weekly. It's almost like you have it written down on the wall in front of you. But I think this week are the most interesting, interesting cars we have. I think this week is like the Unnamed Automotive Podcast wish fulfillment episode, where we talk about vehicles that um, very few people actually buy. Although one of them, one of them is more popular than others, but the, the rest are kind of just they exist in this world where you always see someone else driving one. <laughs> yeah, and it's never in your own driveway, or at least rarely in your own driveway. I think uh, we're getting we're we're gonna we're gonna leave people like guessing for too long if we don't tell you what if we don't tell them what it is. So this ben, is like a on. weird alternate universe Christmas list episode where we're like our Christmas is holiday list where it's like you know it's almost November and it's time to start thinking about whether you're gonna buy your loved one a 2022 Bentley Continental Flying Spur for example. That's what you drove. That's what I drove. It, it actually. I hadn't planned on driving it. I got a phone call slash email from Bentley. What do you out mean of, by that? Well, hold on. What is a phone call slash email? How well, does that happen? Do you someone get a phone calls call you every time somebody emails you. No, someone calls you and they say you you go hello and they say hold for email and then an email <laughs> comes in your inbox. I, it's an old school way of doing. It. Bentley is an old school company. What can I say? Um, it's kind of funny Weird. because it's an inconvenient facts. An inconvenient facts. Isn't that the name of Al Gore's uh, podcast? <laughs> Yes, of course. So, I the, the, there's a fun fact about me, and that's I, there are two car companies whose vehicles I have never driven. You want to guess what okay, they wait. are? Yeah, I can guess. I can guess. Okay. Um, I can guess. One is going to be Audi. No, okay, you're gonna no. not allowed to guess anymore because that was a oh. horrible guess, and I'm in. No, wait, Lamborghini. No, that, again, I'm embarrassed for Ferrari. both of us. Oh no, you, I've I've been there when you drove a Ferrari. Okay. Enough with the guessing. The okay. answers are Bentley and oh, Maserati. I should have seen that coming. <laughs> and Maserati. And Maserati. Really? Yeah, well, with Maserati, it's not it, – it's it's weird because I've had them booked in the past, but every time I've had one booked, it's it's been broken. Like I get a phone call and they're like, sorry, the whatever you had booked is like horribly destroyed itself somehow. And we can't lend it out. So I'm like, okay. It just seems like I was destined never to drive a Maserati. But Bentley, um, did that had... happen with Genesis a bunch of times? That like, no, specifically the they... G90. The G90 is oh, the vehicle right. I'm fated okay. never to be able to drive. But uh, I, I had never, never driven a Bentley. Just, just, okay. it just never opportunity had not presented itself. Although a couple months ago, I was invited to an event in Italy. I'm not traveling internationally right now, so I had to decline. But I did say, look, I'm sorry I can't go, but I would love to drive one of your vehicles locally if that's possible. And I think that that's what happened. I get the phone call out of the blue. Very happy. Um, 
a couple days later, I head over to a dealership and pick up the Fly- Continental Flying Spur. So there are three different types of Flying Spur, Sammy. Actually, there's an infinite number because the Moliner or Moliner, I don't know exactly how you say it. They're, they're bespoke um, uh, options and, and features program that they have. You can make whatever Bentley you want, look however you want. But the three main flavors are hybrid, which I think is new for this year. There's a V8, which is a twin turbo, and there's a W12 because Bentley is owned by the Volkswagen, Audi, Porsche whole conglomerate thing. So that W12 right. 12-cylinder engine is still hanging around. Um, and this is the same one that was back in the Phaeton days? Come on now. I don't think it's – no. I mean it's okay. obviously been evolved over the years, but it's it's there. Oh, wait. Unique. No, that was a – was that a W8? That was a W8. There was a W8 okay. there. there. There was also a 12-cylinder Phaeton though. Okay, my mistake. Yeah. Um, I, again, a vehicle you've never seen. I've seen like two Phaetons in my life. And one of them, I used to live in a fairly sketchy part of town. And I came home one day and it was parked across the street from my house. And I was like, this this feels normal. This feels like where a Phaeton should be. But I drove the V8. So the V8 has 526, sorry, 542 horsepower, um, which is just under 100 less than the W12. But okay. in a straight line, zero to sixty, they both do it in three and a half seconds, and that's impressive because this vehicle conservatively weighs ten thousand pounds. Like this oh. is it, <laughs> it is an enormous sedan. This is a giant, giant car. It's one of those vehicles that's designed to be as comfortable driving it as it is to be riding in the rear seat. And uh, the fact that it has that kind of performance is absolutely mind blowing. I mean, part of that's all wheel drive. Um, part of that is just the, the, the way turbo power can jump, jump, jump. Why do I keep saying jump? Dump so much torque to all four wheels at at such a low RPM. But, uh, it, it is a ridiculously quick vehicle for what it is. This is a wicked looking car. Um, I need to ask you a little bit more about what you know about, uh, this item because as far as i know bentley really has like three models they have the bentega the continental and the flying spur and i think they used to have a the a, a product called the mulsane and uh is the flying spur essentially now the mulsane again like I, mulsane now i really don't know and i oh, called okay, it earlier in the show <laughs> earlier in the show i called it a continental flying spur that is incorrect i think that's the old uh terminology for it i think it's just flying spur just flying the yeah. flying spur is what they call yeah. it which is interesting. yeah um it is a funky looking car i didn't think that bentley had like a design language exactly i think they 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 kind of like slowly evolved their their design from their their conception, and uh, I actually think that the new flying spur looks pretty cool. Well, it looks um, a lot like a stretched version of the Continental GT. Yeah, which is I mean, which is a pretty a pretty good look, I think. I think the only product that looks uh, off is the Bentega, and uh, maybe they've got they've got some time to to make it look a little bit prettier. So (laughs) this car, in addition to being enormous, has crazy street presence. Like, it's one of those... There's a subset of vehicles, and I include, you know, Rolls-Royce in this, and uh, maybe... I don't know if Mercedes is really there with the S-Class anymore, but there's a certain class of vehicle, and usually it's exotics are, are, are lumped in here, where even people who aren't interested in cars instantly notice it and understand that it's something that's outside the ordinary and something that is horrendously expensive. And I, I have I'm going to be talking about a car that I think does the opposite. Okay. okay. That only people who know know, and that's it. 
So, so with the cars that attract this kind of attention, yeah. uh, it's not that you're attracting the attention from enthusiasts. It's that you're attracting attention from absolutely everybody. So no matter right. where I went in this car, uh, people stopped what they were doing and stared. So it's the kind of car where – and it's interesting because in Montreal, there are a fair number of Continental GTs. The Flying Spurs, there are less. I probably see more Rolls Royces than I do um, Flying Spurs. Mm-hmm. But it, it still had that street presence, like a really stunning street presence that was inescapable. And okay. it's interesting because, you know, there are cars that are priced right. The, 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 the Flying Spurs starts around 200000 right? Wow. Okay. And you can get a Panamera that costs that much, I think. Yeah. But no one stares at Panamera. No. It's absolutely really, not. It's really a car that is not under the radar, but isn't really seen as a statement car, I don't think. And it's interesting. Really? Yeah. I, Panamera? I don't think so. Oh, no. Sorry. I thought you were talking back. The no, no, no. I yeah, just, the Panamera. I, you're right. It's not a statement car for sure. And it's fascinating that this market differentiation exists between these cars that ex- ostensibly exist at the same level, you know? Yeah. And I think that speaks to the fact that the the Flying Spur, I mean, the $200,000 Flying Spur is like the $100,000 911. It just doesn't exist. They're not out there. They might be on a spec sheet somewhere, but the car I drove had like $150,000 worth of options. Uh, repeat, please. $150,000? Something like that. It was like $120,000 or $150,000 worth of options. Huh? How does a car have that? Like, that's... It's, it's price... It's like... Nearly, it's over fifty percent of its price is options. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in Canadian dollars, my car came up to three hundred fifty-one thousand, which is the, the Canadian MSRP is like two hundred forty thousand. So uh, that, that that is a huge, a huge jump. Um, yes. The you're getting stuff like it, it's interesting because we talked about this with Rolls Royce in the past. There's stuff that you pay for that maybe you wouldn't pay for on a non-luxury brand, like the hood ornament on the Bentley, which I was surprised it has one. You don't often see hood ornaments anymore because of pedestrian crash regulations and that kind of thing. But the, right. the hood ornament was like you know a, a few thousand dollars. There's uh, a stereo system that was just under ten thousand dollars. There, it's made by a company called Name. Um, I hope I'm saying that properly. N A I M. You know the the sunroof, that kind of stuff. There was an all wheel steering system that was like another ten thousand dollars. There's mood lighting that was a few thousand dollars. All this stuff really adds up, and yeah. uh, you end up with a car that is configured exactly how you want it to be. Right. But you, you you're going to pay for that, and that's not something. Panameras can get expensive too. To just go back to that theme, but they don't offer the same level of customization. So then, I mean, I think exterior, the car makes a, an impression based on its exclusivity. You don't see a lot of them. Um, I think it has a very elegant looking design. I think that that quad headlight design actually works um, on the Flying Spur um, in total. And the profile is pretty, is, 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 is nice. I think it looks less, um, like when you look at a Ghost or a or a Phantom, those are like, they kind of have like a squared off almost like, it, it's, What's the word? It's like a well, a ghost old looks like, kind of look. A ghost right? looks like a a bank vault, a rolling yeah. bank vault, you know. But it's also important to point out, I think, that a ghost is a hundred thousand dollars more than a flying spur. Wow! So it's like okay. another level entirely. And another key difference I found between the ghost, the wraith, and the flying spur—I mean, aside from number of doors and all that is that Bentley makes an effort to have its car be interesting to drive. So a Ghost is fine to drive, but it's not sporty, and it's not intended to be sporty. And right. uh, Whereas Bentley would like you to think that you could take this Flying Spur on a 
two-lane road and have a decent time. It has a sport mode. It has an adaptive mode and it has a comfort mode. I kept it in the adaptive mode most of the time. But regardless of which mode you're in, it's pretty comfortable. I mean, it, the, the car is absurdly good at soaking up the road. The glass in the in the doors is like triple paned or quadruple paned. It's really thick. So things are very quiet inside the vehicle. Even on a very... I took it over some bridges here in Montreal on a very windy day. And I would normally have heard insane amounts of wind just rustling into any other vehicle the the flying spur really attenuated that. Um, would it be fun to drive on a twisty road? I don't know if it would be fun, but it would definitely hold its own. The mm-hmm. car was decent at handling. I, I tried to take the corners as quickly as I felt comfortable doing in a car of this size and with this much power. Yeah. It never felt out of control. It never even felt close to its limits. So there's a... It's not a car that's designed to be super engaging, but it's again, it's not as detached as some of the ultra luxury. Yeah, as some of the ultra luxury stuff tends to be. Let's. I want to talk a little bit about that because um, there's two options for motors here, and that's not something you see very. There's there's three actually. Oh right, with the hybrid as well. Talk to me about the motor you had. You had the V8. Yeah, the V8. So as I mentioned earlier, it's it's 542 horsepower. Right, and how does this propel this ten thousand pound car, however however heavy it really is? It's it feels very like uh, as I mentioned, it feels very quick. Um, right, it's for its weight, it's an extremely, an extremely. Um, I don't know. It it's it's interesting if you want to pop the hermetic seal that you're inside of in the Bentley. Mm-hmm. The best thing to do is like just crack the sunroof a little bit because then when you're in sport mode, you can uh, hear it. Yeah, you hear the exhaust burbles, and it yeah. actually will bark a little bit at you when you're upshift and downshift when you're in sport oh, mode. Oh, sick! Okay. But you don't really hear it with the with the roof closed; like it's pretty sealed. So <laughs> you get a little bit of a muted experience. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, as it had, my car had four wheel steering. I didn't really notice it. I mean, I probably noticed it in the sense that at highway speeds, it's much smoother when you're changing lanes. But it's sure. the kind of car that like you can pull onto the highway from an entrance ramp and suddenly you're doing 110 miles an hour in the blink of an eye. And, it and you re- also have like the, 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 the feeling is like you're walking, right? Like it just, well, there's a little bit of sensation of speed, but it's like a okay. locomotive. It's just so hefty as a car <laughs> that once it gets going that quickly, there's just a ton of momentum. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, do you think, um, there's a reason you see fewer of these than, um, than other like hot luxury, uh, ultra luxury cars like a Maybach or whatever. I don't really see Maybach. You see Maybachs? Yeah, I know. Well, wow. <laughs> I've I see way more Bentleys than I see Maybachs. Wow. Okay. Uh, I, I I think there are fewer dealerships. Okay. That plays into it. Exclusivity is a big part of Bentley's thing, so mm-hmm. they don't want to have them on every corner. They make enough profit off of their current model run where they don't really need huge volume. I don't think. Okay. Um, but I do feel like this is a rare instance of a car that is extremely expensive, somewhat justifying its price, just in mm. terms of it, fe- it felt extremely well built. It felt like the mission statement of the car, which is to be comfortable in every position, whether you're driving or not, was fully satisfied. And uh, I, the, the nearest competitor, I, I, like in terms of feel, I think would be like a Range Rover. Just, okay. Just how it's such in terms a. Of just- like confidence, eh? Yeah, a relentlessly versatile and um, excellent vehicle in pretty much every way. 
Okay. I would say the Bentley is more refined, obviously, than the Range Rover, and it's not, you know, also doesn't have the off-road or the cargo capacity, although the trunk is enormous. Um, and in terms of passengers, too, the back seat is huge. Uh, I sat behind myself in the car, and there was so much legroom, insane amounts of legroom. All four positions have full tilt seating, and in the front and rear, you have a massage feature for you know, every corner of the car and it's really in depth. There are like five or six different types of massage with five levels of intensity for each. And you can control that on a touchscreen in the back if you want to. Sweet. I was going to ask about this technology because sometimes with these um, luxury cars, you can feel a little there. It can feel a little similar when you get into like infotainment or like gauge displays. Like uh, there's a little bit of familiarity somewhere. But from what I'm looking at, this Bentley looks pretty unique or in terms of its design. It you does. mentioned it, it has some some connection to the I mean it's it's a product of the Volkswagen Auto Group, but it doesn't look like there's anything related to any of the other products here. No, I didn't um, feel in like the interior. I didn't feel like there was anything out of the parts bin. Even the infotainment system looked relatively uh, unique to the Bentley. It also has this crazy dashboard where the center panel where you would normally have the infotainment screen it has three different faces and when you get in the car it's just it's just wood because there's a nice wood trim across the whole dash and part of the doors and you mean that the screen is just it it just blends in with the wood no i mean it's just wood there's no screen you turn the car on and the whole panel rotates once to show you the infotainment screen. And then if you push another button, it will rotate a second time to show you three analog gauges. One is uh, temperature, one of them was a compass, and I forget what the third one is. And you can keep rotating it to your heart's content. So it's it's a bit of a gimmick, but it's a gimmick that I think works because it feels pretty classy. Yeah, I mean, if you want the clean look, the clean dashboard look, it offers that. You don't have that, like, screen that feels kind of like... It's, it's occupying space, and if you don't need to be looking at it, you don't need it there, right? So yeah, that's it's, interesting. It, the whole interior really feels elevated over what you would normally consider luxury. Like, it's, there's a lot of detail in there. For example, just to pick one small thing, in the front seats, the headrests kind of wrap around the side of your head so that if you were to do some aggressive driving, it would, I guess, keep you from flailing around. But if you go to the back seat, the, the headrests are this super pillowy, like... Three to four inches of some kind of crushed, um, I don't know, foam or velour inside the headrest where you can just lean back and it's the, the height of comfort, you know, because if you're in the back seat, no one in the front seat is going to be driving aggressively, right? <laughs> right. So it's just a to- two totally different moods in the same car. And it's my car had a Moliner driving specification, which is a fancy way of saying nicer seats and different upholstery and some stitching on the seats that had like a bunch of raised and uh, embossed Bentley logos and stuff. Just really mm. nice details that you don't find in a car that wasn't mostly made by hand. That's that's it all sounds pretty impressive. So I need to ask, was your first Bentley experience? Was it like did, did it live up to the charm? How do you feel now that you've driven your first Bentley. I mean, I can understand why people are buying this car. Uh, I think that if, for me personally, and this is something that I think, so luxury is a commodity in the auto industry, especially since technology has democratized the access to so many different types of features. But exclusivity is kind of the real luxury where I always want to be driving myself personally something that no one else is. I don't want to drive my car and meet someone else who's also driving my car. And that's why I have my Jeep. That's why I have my Datsun. That's even why I have my CTSV. It's, these are all 
kind of, you know, a bit contrarian ways to to drive out on the road and to just drive something that's unique. And if you want to get that out of the out, straight out of the dealership, that's why you would go to Bentley instead of Porsche or um, like a high-end Mercedes-Benz or something of that nature. It's because you want to drive a car that your neighbor doesn't have. Right. I, at least for me. And you, when you park somewhere fancy, you're not going to be parked beside yourself. Right, right. You won't get, you won't miss it, uh, or, or you won't uh, get lost in the park. Yeah, and and not everyone wants to drive like a two door exotic or a sports car or a grand right, touring car. So Bentley offers the option to have that kind of exclusivity without having to crunch down and get inside a Ferrari. Um, there's one more question I had about the Flying Spur, and it's about the size of it. It's when enormous. I drove... It's huge. Okay, so when I drove. <laughs> Thank you. When I drove the uh, Ghost, there were moments when I got in it and I'm like, this is as large as an SUV can be sometimes. I don't understand how they can also offer an SUV that is somehow bigger than this. Um, is like the same thing I'm asking with the Bentley. Does it feel as big cavernous as like a practical, a more practically minded body style? No, it, I think that if you were to park it beside a Bentayga, they'd probably be the same length. Yeah. But it didn't feel ponderous. It just felt large and heavy in the sense that you're driving something hewn out of a solid block of like steel or or that kind of feeling from it. It, Yeah. It's, it has massive presence, but I never felt like, Oh man, I can't park this anywhere. I'm I'm, I'm impressed that they've been able to, I mean, I guess when you have a V8 that puts out like over 500 horsepower to turn it, to make a vehicle feel um, like it can pick up speed or, or continually pick up speed is, it's not that hard, but I guess to make make it feel at least somewhat engaging or interesting to drive, I think that's a bit more difficult. Uh, anything else you want? To, sorry, I didn't mean to. You just kind of. Yeah, I didn't mean to take the wind out of the, the the room there. But is there anything else you want to talk about with this Bentley? So the actual weight of the vehicle is five thousand three hundred pounds, which is extremely heavy for a car. I mean, that's yeah. That's, pickup truck territory yeah pretty much so 552 pound feet of torque or uh or sorry that's the hybrid i think the the v8 i'm not exactly sure the 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 torque number but uh it's 658 pound feet of torque so again you've got torque for days you're never going i i don't know who you're going to be drag racing in this car because when you're in a bentley you don't even have to look from side to side when you're at a stoplight right it's like just blinders on uh, but yeah, I, it was, it was an enjoyable car to drive and, um, definitely the exclusivity is something that I think speaks to a specific type of customer. Do you think there's any reason to get the V12 or, uh, the W12 or the, um, hybrid? The hybrid? No, I wouldn't think <laughs> so because I don't think a heavy car like this is going to deliver useful plug-in range. So right. why even bother? Uh, the W12, it's bragging rights thing. It's right. you're only going to notice the speed differential between those two cars over a quarter mile or in the sprint to 100 miles an hour. That's where it starts to show up in regular driving, highway driving. You're not going to notice the difference. Right. OK. Um, now, I'm going to let me take over the mic a little bit. And I want to talk about what I've been doing this past week. I went to an event in um, Palm Springs. But this is a over in Thermal Raceway. We we got hosted by BMW and we drove a bunch of um, a bunch of new vehicles. Um, that I can't talk about just yet, but I can talk about some of the ones that uh, I think I found probably the most interesting. First of all, I'm going to talk about the BMW M4 competition uh, with xDrive all-wheel drive. Now, we've talked about the M4 competition before, um, and 
we did mention that it comes with the or it will be coming with this all-wheel drive function. I finally got a chance to drive it, and I put it on the track as well, where I um, I had I had a surprisingly decent time, with the exception of one notable um, experience with it. So, why just are to, you surprised that you had a good time on the track in the M4 competition? The, the, well, okay, the last time I went to Thermal, I drove an M4, and it was the M4CS, if I remember correctly, um, which was, it felt very twitchy and, uh, like, threatening, almost, in, in some of those corners, and, and, and it's a very, that's a very flat track, um, and to still feel a little bit like uh, you're constantly wrestling the, the steering wheel and, the, and the, the, the power, all that power being sent to the rear wheels, kind of, like, worries you a little bit in some situations so i i didn't enjoy it as much as i i wanted to back then uh, maybe I, i'm just not used to that kind of um dynamic between the car and the driver but when i drove the m4 competition with x drive i found it feeling pretty um just far more comfortable um and confident on the road um i just to remind people here it has 503 horsepower 479 pound-feet of torque. Um, I actually have the specs for a wrong, the wrong model, so you're going to have to bear with me for a sec because I, for some reason I wanted to look at the, comp- the convertible model and not the um, competition model. And but that is – it's automatic only too. All the it is automatic as we've talked about before. Yes. And um, I was uh, – the, the interesting thing is when you drove it, I think we mentioned weight a little bit, and that was with the rear-wheel drive model. The weight of the rear-wheel drive model is, is relatively speaking, is pretty um, standard. It's about 3,800 pounds. And this um, all-wheel drive model is a tiny bit heavier um, at 39.97. So it's just uh, 179 pounds heavier. However, when you're busting down the, the, the back straight at a thermal and you, you slam on the brakes, that rear really does start to squirm uh, and move around a little bit, and if you're 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 not ready for it, it can catch you off guard. But what I really did like about this M4 competition is that the brakes were so good; they were so consistent um, all day, the, all day long. These things were tracking, and uh, I found the brakes to be um, a, a highlight there. Do you and think then, that maybe the fact that it had been on the track all day had something to do with the squirm? Uh, maybe in terms of they did say that they they you know put new tires um, on the thing. At the beginning of the day, um, and um, I don't know if I—I I, I mean, I don't think it was abused, but um, <laughs> I think it was definitely abused. Well, if it was journalists I, driving it on a racetrack, I think that's—I think that's I just see, code for abuse. <laughs> I did see the uh, at the end of the day, the pro race car drivers uh, or the or, uh, the pro race car drivers and the instructors uh, went out to finish off the tires, essentially, um, and and made fantastic plumes of smoke. Uh, in all the corners, so that was pretty fun. But um, I will admit that I, my my impressions of the new M4 are positive. I think that echoes what you said um, when we talked about it last month. Is is that right? Say that again. My impressions were positive. Yeah, I mean, it's and that's something that I didn't feel about the last generation model. Well, that's I a the big last one was kind of a big part of that kind of a. Fill, like a filler. But a big part of that, though, is the transmission because we went from a honestly terrible dual-clutch transmission to a mm-hmm. really great torque converter 8-speed automatic. Right. 
And I know, I and, and also, you know, we, you know, the competitions are auto only, and we talked about how I wasn't really a fan of the six speed that is in the, uh, or the uh, six speed, the the manual transmission that is in the M3 and M4 standard versions, and mm-hmm. I felt like the eight speed auto was kind of the transmission to get, and I think that that is a huge makeover for this car compared to the previous generation. Absolutely, it really does add that confidence, um, and, and it's not like the car is any slower. Again, three. 3.4 seconds from 0 to 60 is blisteringly fast, right? Like, that's that's wicked fast. Yeah, and you it's way smoother, and you don't have that odd... The worst part of that DCT that they had, or I don't even know if it was a DCT, but the, 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 yeah. the automated manual that they had was driving around town at lower speeds. It was clunky. It didn't clunky. always It didn't always pick up. Like, you would sometimes be at the light, and you would hit the gas, and it would, the revs would surge, and there would be no forward motion. It was just that kind of thing. Or you'd be, like, slowing down and then have to speed up again, and it wouldn't know what gear to be in. It, it was one of those transmissions where unless you're pounding it at full throttle the whole time, it's not impressive. Absolutely. That's the, I think that's the, right, um, that's the right impression I got there as well. And again, so that that adds to my further um, idea of that that past generation M4 that I drove, which felt um, uneasy to drive because, yeah, as I'm trying to get like get to know it, it feels like it just wants to do much more than I'm willing I'm, I was willing to at the time. And now this new one just feels so much more um, playful and easy to and easy to get to know uh, your limits and its limits altogether. This model, in particular, costs. Seventy-eight thousand, uh, actually just under seventy-nine thousand dollars, and uh, that's a decent price for a pretty high-performance coupe here. And I think the rest of the product is is, um, is quality. I think it's right. It's right up there. This is deserving of that BMW and M, M nameplate, uh, as opposed to some of the other products that we've had come through with the M batch. Harsh words. Um, now the other car that I did drive, and I'm I'm very eager to talk about is um, as exclusive, maybe more exclusive than the Bentley uh, Flying Spur that you drove. Wait a minute, more exclusive than a Bentley? Yeah, so I drove the Alpina B8 Grand Coupe, which is essentially an (laughs) 8-seat... I was going to say, so this is is more exclusive because no one knows what it is. (laughs) That's right, and they they sell uh, about, or they make about 1,200 to 1,900 of these cars, like Alpinas in general, a year. So... I don't know. I don't know how many Bentley makes, but I don't know if it's that money. I have no idea either. Okay, we'll double check. Um, the Alpina B8 is an eight series, um, which is BMW's eight series. You know, it's their grand coupe, their grand touring um, um, automobile. But they also make a four door version of it called the Grand Coupe. So it's uh, you know the four door coupe um, meme there. So ben- uh, Bentley they- sells. I just looked it up. Bentley sells two hundred and fifty. Flying spurs a year. Flying spurs. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, do you know how much Continentals and Bent- I mean the Bentayga must be selling? I didn't look loads, it up specifically, right? but I, I can check for you. But, but uh, what I mean to say is, like all of Alpina, and we've we've talked about in the past. We talked about the B7, which was which is based on the seven series. Uh, a few months ago, you talked about the XV7, which is based on the seven series, and this is now the um, the, the, the the not the seven series, the X7. X7. What's wrong with me? Yes, X7. And this is the um, uh, the B8, which is based on the 8 series. Now, there's always this conversation whenever a um, a, a an Alpina shows up um, in in our fleets, where people wonder, is this as good as an M product? But with the Alpina um, XB7 and with the old B7, there weren't really M7s or 
X7Ms. They were they were those M Sport models, right? Sure. The B8 has to actually compete with um, the BMW M8. That is a, you that's I, a very good point. The the which you and I have driven, uh, I think last year, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and enjoyed thoroughly. We were we both came away gushing about it on the same podcast. Um, and it to to jump in this, which is not based on an M8 entirely. It's based on. An 8 Series, more of an M850, but Alpina t- puts their own spin on it. They give it more power. Um, they change the suspension a little bit. They give it a n- unique um, front bumper, different rear um, different a, a different rear diffuser, and um, a new exhaust system. And then the interior is almost completely um, separate, like in terms of just accents and trims that you just can't get in an 8 Series um, altogether. And this car as a whole now comes in at this, uh, at like a hundred and, let me just make sure I got the price right here, $139,000, um, which is a good chunk more than a 8 Series. That's almost two M4s. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, it, it is, it, it's also $10,000 more than an M8 grand competition um, Grand Coupe. So in your estimation, would you rather save the ten grand and stick with the M8? Mm, that's such a tough question, and I and honestly, what the Alpina does for that ten thousand dollars, I think is worth it. Um, I don't know if the M8 buyer will be going on the track, and I think that there's a lot of compromise for a track, um, a car that is built for the track. And yeah, I, I prefer I, I prefer the M850i for that reason. Exactly. What the Alpina does is it takes the M850 and makes it. It gives it the the confidence of the M8 without the um, without the harshness of the M8, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's what I was so impressed with with the XB7 is that I didn't think that that vehicle could be faster without really compromising the comfort and just smoothness that make it sit such a good full-size SUV. But Alpina completely proved me wrong by giving it that extra power and yet allowing it to stay as soft as it needed to be unless you wanted it to be somewhat more engaging to drive. So yeah. it was a real range of, of experiences within the same platform, which to me made it worth the extra money. Absolutely. And let us let me talk about this ride, which I think is the most impressive part of the car. It is a wickedly smooth ride. It is so good. I cannot get over the fact that it rides on these massive 21-inch wheels with low-profile pro- low tires. Like, they're this big. They're, they're like, you can't, you can barely see the rubber. And it still rides so smoothly. I cannot get over how good they, they managed to pull this off. Um, and they also have um, this exclusive set of Pirelli tires. I didn't catch the name of them, but these as well are different than what I believe um, BMW typically uses on their on their um, M850. And uh, these are super quiet and um, t- offer tons of grip. The power plant is the 4.4 liter um, turbocharged V8. It makes 612 horsepower and 590 pound-feet of torque and uh, does 0 to 60 in like uh, 3.3 seconds. Like it's still incredibly fast um, and it rides so well. And then it's, you know, it takes the best parts of the M8 and the best parts of the M850 and puts them together into this really wicked car. And then, as you said, with the with the Bentley stage presence or road presence, 
this car is a bit different. I think only a few people really know what an Alpina is from the from just by looking at it. Oh yeah, it, there's, there's like this the zero badge. there's like zero street recognition for an Alpina. But the people who do know what it is go nuts for it. Like they they like roll down their windows. They give you like thumbs up, and even if you're just trying to sort of blend in with the rest of the BMW um, um, audience there. Some people just will not let that go and they'll go nuts for it. And I think that's really cool, too, to know that your car appeals to the very specific type of fan that's uh, that's out there. So it's a it's a very low volume car mm-hmm. built for a very tiny audience. It's interesting that BMW even has this as part of their offerings, like that they have this in-house brand that is I mean, the sales are insignificant, but yeah. the profits are probably pretty good. Yeah, I mean it, it's fifty percent more than a than a regular M850, right? Mm. And ten thousand dollars more than an M8. So, I mean, there's some hand. There, this is supposed to be like you know a pretty handmade bespoke vehicle. Like this, this steering wheel, for example, is is handcrafted steering wheel. The leather on the on the steering wheel is very nice. Um, I, I don't know if that's worth a ten thousand dollar more than an M8, but um, like I said, the whole general experience comes together in a way that I. And again, as somebody who has been impressed with the M850, has been impressed with the M8, the Alpina is, I think, the the right blend of all of the, that that entire portfolio. And I and I don't know how many people are going to buy this thing, but I don't. Th- it won't be enough, right? So you would take it over the M8, but would you take it over the M850? Would I save the forty or fifty thousand dollars to get the um, to get the M850? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm a practical dude, right? So I would say, yeah. But, but it, okay, time, is, like, is it fifty thousand dollars better than an M850? Because the M850 is a very compelling spec. Fifty thousand bucks is a lot of money, man. Like you could get, like we could we could fill another we could put another car in our stable though for like a, like a like an old M2 for for that money. Right? Or you could put ten cars at my price point. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. That exclusivity, it depends if you want, like, you know, as you mentioned, you want to buy a car that nobody else will be buying, will, will, will have. And the Alpina is that item. That's true. But no one else, no one else will know that no one else has it. So that's, that's another further wrinkle. You know. Like, like the Alpina is like, it's like but the, you will know. It's like the Hellraiser box of cars. <laughs> <laughs> what a deep cut. What a reference. So it it really speaks to the the purest of pure, purity seekers, I guess. I think that's right. I well, can't. I would say no. Like personally, that's not my my shtick. I don't pull that off. But um, if if you know money was no object, yeah, this would be the one to get. So uh, anything else you want to say about the purest of purity seeking cars? No, no, not at all. Uh, I'm eager to talk to you about whatever we're driving in the in the in the upcoming weeks. I've got an M440. It's the four series Grand Coupe to talk to you about. If okay. you recall that that product, and then later on the month, I'm going to be telling you about the new two series. I am going to be talking about a BMW product of a different time, a different kind, the uh, Mini Cooper S. Oh, wicked! Okay, so. Dear listener, if you enjoyed our conversation this week about these uh, these hyper exclusive cars, I, I, I'm sad to say not every episode we write is about these really wild and rare Did vehicles. You say episode we write, I just want to dispel the idea that we write for this. <laughs> this <season. laughs> I mean, this there is no we perform. There are not even notes. <laughs> no, <laughs> this totally. is an off the dome podcast. 
Right. Not every episode we perform um, includes such rarities like this, but if you do want to go through our por- uh, our portfolio of uh, and our back catalog, it's very easily to do that. Just go to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, and uh, you'll see all of our old episodes. You'll see photos of the cars that we've been driving um, and even links to some of the stories that we've been writing about. And if you if you want to subscribe, you can do that there. Did you did you mention that, Sammy? No, not at all. You, you should take take the lead on this one. You can subscribe on the website itself. We've got tons of links to the most popular podcasters, or you can just search for us. Uh, and we're everywhere: Google, Amazon, Apple, uh, Spotify. Just type in "Unnamed Automotive Podcast," and you can leave comments and vote, uh, or votes, or ratings, or however it works on your platform. You can also reach out to us, Sammy. What's the best way to get in touch with us to ask us questions about the most exclusive of purity-seeking pure vehicles? Okay, well, if you've got a short question to ask, I would say maybe social media. You can reach out to us on social media. I'm on Twitter, at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. Um, and you can find Ben on Instagram. He's at Hunting Benjamin. But I guess there's no there's no character limit on Instagram. You can just message the heck out of each other. Um, additionally, you can reach out to us on via email. You just go Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. And... Is there another way? To, oh, yes, the contact form on the website. The I contact form on the that. website. There's a little button on the website. You click it and you fill it out, and that lands in our inbox just as well. All right, so everyone, thank you for listening this week and for uh, dealing with the ultra-high purchase prices on every single one of these vehicles. Uh, and if you like this week's episode, let us know. You can either leave us a review using your whatever podcast client you're using, or you can head on over to Ko-Fi. That's K-O-F-I. Dot com, um, and you can give us a little tip out, uh, on Ko-Fi. So yeah, it's a it's ko-fi.com forward slash unnamed automotive podcast. Yeah, so thanks, guys, and uh, I'll talk to you next week, Ben. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.